Hello, DanceWell listeners. This is your host, Marissa Schaefer. Before we get to DanceWell's 16th episode on nutrition with Emily Harrison, I wanted to tell you a little bit about our DanceWell fundraiser. As you know, DanceWell Podcast is a bi-monthly show co-hosted by Ellie Kushner and myself and dedicated to providing a 360-degree view of health and wellness for dancers. It's been my great pleasure to interview a wide array of practitioners to bring the dance community episodes on mental health, nutritional health, physical health, and more. DanceWell Podcast is a labor of love, and while Ellie and I are excited to embark on a second season, airing in September of this year, and continue donating our time and efforts, we have some expenses that we can no longer meet on our own. So, we've launched a GoFundMe campaign. In exchange for the informative content you get from us, would you, our awesome listeners, consider making a donation to help us bring Season 2 to fruition and build our listenership? If you'd like to contribute, follow the link in the description of this podcast to go to our GoFundMe campaign. We thank you all for your support thus far. We would not be where we are without each and every one of you. And now, on to the show. Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer with DanceWell Podcast, and I'm on the phone with Emily Harrison today, who is calling in from Georgia. Hi. Hi, Marissa. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So Emily is a registered dietitian nutritionist and holds both a bachelor's and a master's degree in nutrition from Georgia State University, where she researched the relationship between an elite ballet dancer's energy balance and injury. She has additional expertise in providing nutrition counseling for people with diverse needs, including athletic performance, weight management, wellness, food allergies and intolerances, celiac disease, and eating disorders. Over the years, she has worked with hundreds of dancers to encourage healthy eating and positive body image. She is a public speaker who has led nutrition workshops and food demonstrations for leading dance schools, universities, and conferences. She is also a writer and contributes regularly as an author and an expert to print and online dance publications. Emily was also a professional dancer with Boston Ballet 2 and Ballet International. She has danced at the Atlanta Ballet, where she was featured in leading roles, in addition to being a faculty member with the NASD Accredited Center for Dance Education. She ran the Center for Dance Nutrition and Healthy Lifestyles at Atlanta Ballet for six years and now runs her private practice, Nutrition for Great Performances. So Emily is joining me on the phone today uh, to cover two topics. So first, we're going to talk a little bit about macronutrients, including uh, doing some myth busting around protein, carbs, and fat. And then we are going to discuss how to fuel your body for dance class and how to eat to reduce inflammation and soreness after class is over. So again, Emily, welcome. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you so much. I appreciate that intro. So um, on your website and in your practice, uh, you emphasize the importance of food as fuel for performance. So can you tell us why what you eat is important for how you perform on stage? Absolutely. Um, when I had just retired from my performing career, um, I was sitting in a class with uh, it was being taught by one of the, the dietitians for the U.S. Olympic team. Mm -hmm. And it was a sports nutrition class. And I had such a moment of excitement over the information that I was learning. And I thought to myself, why isn't this taught in every dance school? Mm. There's so much power in the right food choices, in, in the, the types of food choices that we make, both pre- and post-exercise. Mm -hmm. They clearly make a significant impact on everything from jump height to endurance to aerobic capacity which is really just a fancy way of saying like you don't feel like you're going to die at the end of the variation. Mm -hmm. um, 
And of course it, it matters with weight management, which is what my dancers sometimes get preoccupied with. And sometimes we forget the value of food as fuel, as performance enhancing what we call ergogenic aids mm. um, into the sports nutrition world. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes as dancers, we spend so much time finding the right point shoe or deciding which leotard to wear for an audition. But why not spend at least that much time planning and making the food, thinking about the fuel that you're putting in your body because it literally becomes your instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, like the food we eat forms the the new cells that our body makes. It it forms like the how strong our bones are. Um, the the types of fats and proteins we eat can actually change the flexibility of our arterial walls. Mm. And and so all of you know because we are artists and athletes and our bodies are our instruments, the types of food choices we make literally become our bodies you know your grandmother used to say you are what you eat but like for real like we we actually are Mm. what what we eat and and I always thought that was so interesting um and and impactful and so when we start thinking about food as our friend Mm -hmm. and our ally it changes the power dynamic between what food means to us as dancers and I I think too often dancers see food as as not a friend yeah. or as something to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to change that. I, I want to change our relationship with food as athletes, as performing athletes, um, not just the, the food choices we make, but our meal timing can really be our best friend. We've all heard the, the adage, like, you are what you eat. But um, I like that you brought a, bring up specific examples, like that certain – foods are going to make up our arterial walls and our arterial lining, which is like incredibly important because without those conduits, we're not going to get the oxygen we need to our muscles, which is incredibly important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Or, or the types of iron that you get in the food, it, it, it increases your oxygen carrying capacity of your red blood cells. Mm-hmm. When, if we're iron deficient, it's going to make us feel fatigued. If we're vitamin D deficient, would, of course it increases our risk for stress fractures. Pretty much everybody knows that as sort of nutrition 101. Mm-hmm. But it also plays a big role in immune function. You might be at higher risk for colds and flu. Mm-hmm. So nutrition matters on such a deeper level beyond just, oh, I shouldn't eat this or I should eat this because I want to look good in tights. Right. Like it, it's much bigger than that. Right. It's also kind of like if you're going to spend the money to buy a really fancy sports car, you're not just going to put low-quality oil or low-quality gasoline in it. Um, you're, going to, you're going to treat that like your baby. <laughs> um, and we need to do it's that to so our bodies true. too. Yes, that's absolutely true. I mean, you're, if you're going to try to dance at the professional or at the elite level, I mean, you are – a sports car. Yes. <laughs> and, and yeah, you want to put the best fuel in there. Um, and you want to time it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, it doesn't matter how great the fuel is that you put in your sports car. If you run out of fuel, you're walking home. Mm-hmm. Like, like your, their car is just going to stop dead by the side of the road. But that doesn't happen with our bodies. No. If we go for too long without eating, um, or if we, we do that maybe unintentionally. Maybe you just 
forgot lunch because you're too busy. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we do that intentionally because sometimes I work with dancers who intentionally don't eat because they, you know, are afraid or all kinds of other challenges. Um, our bodies will keep going. You can push yourself through a ballet class or a rehearsal with no fuel, mm. but at what cost? Right. Uh, you know, at what cost to your your mental state? You know, your brain gets a little foggy. Your mm -hmm. muscles get fatigued. Mm -hmm. um, you increase your risk for, for injury. But also what happens on the deeper, more metabolic level, when we go for too long without eating, even five or six hours, which is, you know, doesn't seem like that long, but, mm -hmm. but metabolically what happens is our body has to find fuel from somewhere because we're not a car. A car will right. stop. Right. We don't. Our, your body will keep going, but it, what it will do is well, it'll actually start breaking down your own muscle tissue and it'll send those amino acids to the liver and it does this really wonderful conversion process and your body will be able to make a type of fuel by breaking down your own tissues so you can survive. You're right. going to get through that rehearsal just fine. Um, you're going to be tired. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you might feel bad. You're probably going to be really grumpy too. Right, right. Um, but you, you'll get through it. But in the process, you've lost just a little bit of muscle tissue. Mm -hmm. And when we go for too long without eating on a regular basis – on, you know, for weeks or months or you know, even longer, um, our body will actually lower our resting metabolic rate. Sometimes you mm -hmm. hear people say, oh, it lowers your metabolism. It's actually a little more complicated than mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like your computer going on power save mode. Like, it, it's, like your body goes, hmm, just kind of powers down. Your metabolism actually kind of lowers to a certain extent. Hmm. So when you do finally get to the point where you do eat something, because we all get hungry, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I go for too long without eating during the day, when I finally sit down and I finally have a moment to like breathe and I'm famished, oh my goodness, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat anything that's not tied down, you know, like it's, we all kind of have that reaction we haven't eaten for a while then we eat way more calories than we would have eaten had we just had a snack at a perfectly reasonable time um and then this is what sets us up metabolically for problems down the road it's because you're breaking down your own muscle tissue you're losing muscle your your metabolic rate is lowering and then by the time you you end up eating you end up eating just a little bit too much so when you eat just a little bit too much, the body's like, fine, it stores that, no problem. Your body will, will store that for later. Um, and that often gets stored as body fat. So often I have dancers who say to me, I haven't been eating very much. I, I don't eat at all during the day. I don't understand where these 10 pounds came from. And my response is, it's because you're not eating, actually. Right, which is hard to believe, I think, for a lot of dancers. Right. Mm -hmm. It's right. more like a calories in, calories out thing that I feel like they think about. I think dancers, well, not just dancers, but I think in general, a lot of people just think about calories in terms of the entire day. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, I only ate 1,500 calories today. I don't understand it. Right. And 1,500 calories, just for, for the record, just for some perspective, is actually really low for, for most dancers. 
just to kind of give you a framework, mm-hmm. you know, I, I work with many dancers who are at the 18 to 2300 calorie level, mm-hmm. you know, 1800 to 2300 calories, easy, no problem. So 1500 is pretty low. So, but, but if those 1500 calories come in only two kind of big meals, mm-hmm. or if a thousand of those calories come at the end of the day and you've only eaten 500 when your body really needs it, yeah. when your sports car is going, or, you know, then that's where the problems arise. That's when we end up with body composition problems. Mm-hmm. We end up with lower muscle mass, mm-hmm. relatively higher body fat percentage, and we end up with compromises in our performance. Um, also, what I wrote my master's thesis on was you also see a much higher risk for injury in those dancers, mm-hmm. um, both fatigue-type injuries and then more of a long-term injury like a stress fracture or a stress reaction. And is that because the body is breaking down some of the muscle and other things that we need in order to get extra energy? Or It's a, it's a constellation of things that all work together. It's because you're, you're more fatigued, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe you're doing a really easy jump that you've done a million times. Maybe you're doing like a potasha, right. which most people can do in their sleep. That's not a hard step. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you land a little off on your ankle, you, you tweak your ankle, Right. You know, because you're just tired or something. Um, as far as stress fractures go, now that that's a, a much bigger topic for all the different nutrition factors that go into the prevention of stress fractures. And that's actually one area that I'm very passionate about. Um, so it might be that you're not getting adequate calcium, vitamin D, vitamin K, magnesium, these bone building nutrients. Maybe you're just deficient. Um, but also what the research shows is that people that go for very long stretches of time without eating, mm-hmm. again, even five or six hours would be considered very long, have a higher risk for stress fractures over time than people that distribute their energy intake more regularly throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of like smaller, more frequent meals Mm-hmm. or um, a grazing eating pattern, so you're eating pretty consistently throughout the day, is actually the best for performance and is the best for body composition. The, that kind of long, lean dancer body that everybody wants, if you provide a little bit of fuel to your sports car regularly throughout the day mm-hmm. in increments, you are going to be way better off than if you don't eat. Front load and, or back load. And, if you backload your calories and, you know, you're, you're hungry when you get home and, and you end up um, overeating too much. Mm. Um, so in a nutshell, what we call that energy balance, mm-hmm. um, that is basically fueling the activity that you're about to do. So if you're about to go into ballet class, you need to eat breakfast in the morning. Or if, you're, if your classes are in the evenings, you need to make sure you have a robust a high energy snack in between school and dance and and everybody's schedule is different, Mm -hmm. but you've got to eat something before you, you step in there into the studio. Um, you're not, I think some of my dancers think, well, if I, if I just don't eat, you know, for ballet class and my body doesn't have any fuel, doesn't it just start burning fat? Right. And I'm like, no, metabolism is not so simplistic. Right. It's not like a light switch. Like, oh, I, doesn't ha- I don't have any fuel. I'm going to turn on my fat-burning light switch. No, it, it's not that simplistic at all. Um, so, sure, on a percentage-wise, you burn a little bit of fat, but it ends up backfiring in the long run 
by actually increasing your body fat percentage over time. Um, And I could go into way more boring detail about that, but I don't want to bore everybody. So um, the the kind of the short version of that is eat regularly throughout the day Mm -hmm. and smaller, more frequent meals, which often works better for my busy dancers anyway. You know, they're, you know, everyone's busy. So isn't it kind of easier to just grab a quick snack or have a quick breakfast and then you have a mid-morning snack and then you have even a smaller lunch, which is okay because you're going to eat another two to three hours. You're going to have another sort of afternoon snack. Mm-hmm. And, and these can fit in nicely in five-minute breaks. Absolutely. And from experience too, uh, it feels better to dance with having just had a little bit of a snack as opposed to a bigger meal. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah I did many, many pot of us and you don't... <laughs> You don't want to go rehearse your paw when, like, you've just eaten a huge meal. No. But, you know, if I had eaten something, you know, real, and I guess I should clarify what I mean by small because they, that can mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you eat something relatively on the smaller side that's a little bit easier to digest, then you're going to just, you're going to be feeling a lot better and you're going to dance better. So yeah. um, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the fuel that we put into our bodies by talking um, about the three macronutrients in our food, the fats, the carbs, and the proteins. Um, and let's start with carbs. Um, what are carbs simply and, and also how do they influence our performance? Great. Fantastic. Um, so carbohydrate is actually a, a large umbrella term. Mm-hmm. Um, carbs are the preferred source of fuel for any athletic activity. Um, and I think carbs are kind of vilified in, in our culture a little bit, which, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. So carbohydrate is actually a relatively easy to, to digest um, form of, of, of nutrient. Now, there's three macronutrients, mm-hmm. carbs, fats, and protein. Mm-hmm. Carbs are the most fundamentally important. They're the most foundational. Uh, for example, the American College of Sports Medicine, which is what I base a lot of my recommendations on, recommends that about 55 to 60%, like more than half of your total calories should come from carbohydrates. That's a lot when especially I feel like there's this dialogue out there that's like, this is a good carb and this is a bad carb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Be and, and carbs, you know, people just will often say to me, oh, I don't do carbs. But I'm like, well, so you don't eat carrots? Like, because, you know, carrots are mostly carbohydrate. Or take um, lentil soup, for example. Quintessential health food, at least in my mind. But lentil soup is mostly carbohydrate. You, you've got the vegetables and you've got the lentils, which, yes, okay, they're high in protein. We'll talk about that in a moment. Don't worry, we'll get there. Um, but that's, that's, when you really look at a bowl of lentil soup, you're looking at like 55 to 60 grams of carbs, and that's a good thing. But I think when you say the word carbs or that that word is so loaded in our culture, people immediately picture in their heads like little like dancing donuts or, yeah. you know, rice processed things or processed things, processed refined grains. Mm-hmm. Um, but the word carbohydrate from a nutrition perspective is a much bigger thing. Carbohydrates include fruits, vegetables, whole grains, oats, oatmeal, quinoa has carbs, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, of, of course your legumes have carbs. So we have to stop thinking about carbs as the enemy yeah. and, and broaden our understanding of what that word really means. Can I pause for a second? So you mentioned yes. carbs are preferred. Um, is that because they're easy to digest? Were those two interchangeable or why are they preferred? Oh, that's such a great question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. Um, they're, they're preferred because when you look at studies on athletes and performance, mm -hmm. um, nothing beats carbohydrates in terms of an ergogenic effect. And again, ergogenic just means um, performance enhancing. Gotcha. Nothing can beat carbohydrates. So they, they've, they've done really cool studies. Now, here's where I start to geek out. So there's really great studies on, say, uh, basketball players, for example. Mm -hmm. And they, they took these basketball players and they measured jump height and aerobic capacity, which we just talked about a minute ago. Um, and they measured um, endurance. They even measured body fat percentage. And they, they took these basketball players and they put them into two groups. In one group, they gave these very, very carb-heavy snacks, these bars, mm -hmm. like a sports bar that was almost totally carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And the other group, they didn't give them the bars. And the only instructions they gave to the basketball players was, all right, the group that got the bars, we want you to eat these between meals. And at the end of a relatively short study, they measured everybody's performance and guess what? The group that got these really carb-heavy bars, their performance was significantly enhanced. Interesting. Their jump height was better. Aerobic capacity was better. Endurance was better. And here's the kind of cool thing. Mm -hmm. Their body fat was lower. Ah, that is counterintuitive, I feel like, to most people. Ah, I know. But isn't that cool? <laughs> yes. So here's what happened. So the basketball players ate the snacks, uh -huh. they felt better, they performed better, they had more output, they had more energy output, but also when you're not starving because you had a snack right. in the middle of the afternoon, you tend to self-select a little bit less food. And it might be, it might almost be imperceptible. You might self-select not to eat an extra maybe one or 200 calories at dinner because you had a snack in the middle of the day. You, you tend to not overeat. Ah. So because the snacks helped these basketball players manage their energy balance better, they had more of a steady stream of calories coming in regularly throughout the day, mm -hmm. and they didn't overeat their lunch, and they didn't overeat their dinner, and they tended to not like grab, you know when you're super hungry at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon and you haven't eaten for a while? Mm -hmm. You, they weren't grabbing Doritos right? or they weren't grabbing donuts. So that's why their, their, um, their muscle mass was increased and their body fat percentage was de decreased. This is like perfect evidence for what you were saying before uh, to not backload your food, but rather to streamline your energy intake. Yeah. Well, and that was just one study. Yeah. I mean, I've looked at many, many studies on, on just that same kind of concept. Um, and, and there's lots of great studies, too, that will try to pit carbohydrate intake against, say, creatine, for example, which is another thing that can be popular in the sports nutrition world. Mm -hmm. Oh, take creatine, it'll enhance your, your performance. Well, they studied that, and they gave one group a bunch of creatine, they gave another group carbohydrate, and they um, tried to see, well, who did better at the end? Carbohydrate group wins. Yep. So pretty consistently in the sports nutrition literature, what we're seeing is that 
when you have carb deficient athletes, their their performance is impacted. It's decreased. Um, and then what I looked at when I was studying, doing my, my thesis, and, and still even over the last eight years in my work with, with dancers from all over the world, when you provide the right amount of carbohydrates and the right types of carbs, again, fruit, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, like oatmeal, for example, or an oat bar as a snack, um, or some, some lentil soup or sweet potato you know, in, in your dinner, that's what I'm talking about when I say carbs. When you're giving dancers these, their performance is better, and you're, you're not seeing an increase in weight. So that's always my dancer's concern. They're, they say, well, that's fine that my performance is enhanced, but I can't eat carbs because i got to look good in tights. Right. And my argument is you're still going to look good in tights. Right. Wait. But you can eat foods that will help you dance better, stronger, longer, faster. And I, yeah, and I also think that's uh, uh, here. Let us take your definition of a carbohydrate and like give you some perspective and open your understanding up so that you understand that that your lentil soup um, is full of carbohydrates, or that your potato, your baked potato, um, sweet potato is full of carbohydrates. Which kind of leads me nicely into my next question, and I know that this is something you definitely want to talk about, but we, like, there's this common misconception of there are good carbs and there are bad carbs. Um, what else um, do you think are some common misconceptions about carbohydrates? You know, common misconceptions are, well, kind of what we've already talked about, that I need to be carb-restrictive mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, somehow pasta is bad. Right. Um, that's, yeah, that's really common. Actually, there's some great pastas out there now that are made out of like lentil flour and black bean yeah, flour. Chickpeas. Chickpea flour. And um, they have about, you know, again, 50 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per serving. But they also have about 20 grams of protein. They've got a ton of iron, a ton of zinc. Mm -hmm. um, so you get the best of both worlds with stuff like that. So that's why I'm like, you know, I, I just am not anti-pasta. No. Um, but we have to also think about what goes along with the food we're eating. Pasta is fine, but pasta covered in like a, a cream sauce, a fettuccine sauce, uh, like a real like butter and cream. And that's that's where we run into problems. You know, a nice tomato sauce or some you know sliced veggies on top. That's actually a great meal to have before you go dance. Yeah. Um, I used to have a big bowl of pasta before I would go do this Balanchine ballet that was like Difficult. 15 minutes of jumping the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot and, of, a lot of energy currency in there. <laughs> yeah, and it worked really well for me. And now I understand why it did. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the biggest misconceptions that I see is that people are, they're afraid. Yeah. And, and sometimes they... You know, I think it's, again, we have to shift our thinking about what carbs are. Yeah. That it's, we yeah, sure, we don't need to be eating donuts. Okay, maybe you don't need a 500-calorie Starbucks muffin that is like the size of a small child's head. Um, but and, and that's fine, but maybe you, you could have a sweet potato or soup or tacos with beans and rice and, um, you know, a tor tortilla or something. Um, or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, let's keep it simple. We don't have to be um, chefs to make food that's good and it's nourishing. You, you really can just eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and that's fairly quick and easy to digest. Mm -hmm. And 
it's a nice mix of carbs and fats. Yes. A little bit of protein. Let's talk a little bit about fats. Um, okay. Tell me about what they can add to our dancing, and then let's also talk about some other common misconceptions about fats. Great. Sure. Um, well, one thing that I always jokingly say to the dancers I work with is that fat is not a four-letter word. Right. Um, dancers, you know, besides being carb-phobic, dancers tend to really be fat-phobic. Um, and that's another nutrition misconception that can also backfire. So, of course, we need to be mindful about not getting excess fat, and that's that can be easy to do because fat has nine calories per gram, whereas carbs and protein only have four calories per gram. So fats pack a um, more energy dense, they have a more energy dense package, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by not getting excess. Um, we have to be mindful about portion sizes. But the body needs dietary fats. So the body uses fats for many necessary biological processes, like creating new cell walls, for example. The phospholipids in your cell walls, those are fats. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I talked about at the beginning of our um, discussion today, the types of fats that we get in our diet, for example, eating more plant-based fats instead of more animal-based fats, that's what can affect how flexible our arterial walls are, hmm. which I just think is really fascinating, um, especially when you think about the fact that heart disease is the number one killer of women in this country. Number one killer. More than anything else, heart disease will kill more people in this country than anything else. And so when, when we think, well, what we eat can make such a powerful impact on that, that, that I get excited about that. Yeah. Um, but fats can also, the types that you choose can affect your learning ability, um, your ability to pick up choreography, and, and um, also even your risk for anxiety and depression. So when we look at like the omega-3s, for example, that you can find in walnuts and flax seeds and chia seeds and, and even cold water fatty fish like salmon, mm-hmm. um, these omega-3s are really influential in our mental and emotional states. That's what I was talking about, about de- depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I, I have had several clients over the years that are children with learning differences of all different kinds. Um, and we can put them on certain types of fats, like these omega-3s or phosphatidylcholine or phosphatidylserine, and we can actually help their brain function. Wow. So, we, you know, we don't want to be so fat-phobic that we um, end up not getting enough and we end up with brittle hair and um, brittle nails and our body does need some. Um, So it's important to choose wisely with foods like half of an avocado, for example. It also has fiber. So you're getting other stuff besides just fat or a fourth of a cup of nuts like almonds, for example, which also have protein and calcium and vitamin E, which is very common to be deficient in many dancers. And vitamin E is an antioxidant. So in a minute, when we talk about inflammation, vitamin E is going to be a player in that. Um, Or chia, flax, or hemp seeds, which are a source of those omega-3s that I was talking about. And there are also sources of these phytosterols that lower cholesterol. And they've got fiber and protein. So these plant-based fats can be very health-promoting in the right um, portion sizes. The things that Harvard School of Public Health and Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and um, many of our health 
uh, watchdogs are recommending that we limit or avoid are things like bacon fat, saturated fats, and in beef and cheese and dairy products. Um, and of course, the one that everybody pretty much knows about is the, the trans fats right. and um, shelf-stable baked goods like Twinkies. Uh, I don't think that anybody's thinking a Twinkie is a health food, though. And, no. and me neither. I don't think that many people are thinking about Twinkies anymore, but that might be my me and my New York bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, it's, it's totally blowing my mind um, that... I mean, obviously we need energy to think, but that fats have such a big uh, impact on our cognition. Um, Definitely. Really something I did not think about before. Um, so let's uh, cover that last macronutrient. Let's talk a little bit about protein. Great. Yeah. Um, everybody loves to talk about protein. It's everybody's favorite topic. Uh, I, I will, when I do nutrition talks, everybody asks me about protein. And protein is important. Absolutely. That's true. But in the United States in particular, we have somehow mistakenly elevated this one nutrient to a status that almost borders on royalty. And that's actually a problem. Um, now, when I talked a minute ago about the American College of Sports Medicine's recommendations for carbs, and I said that more than half of your calories need to come from carbohydrate, well, what sometimes blows people's mind is that only 12 to 15 percent of total calories should come from protein and these are recommendations for our athletes so that's 12 to 15 percent of all the calories you eat all day should come from protein so while protein is important no question it is not the end-all be-all most important thing in human nutrition um, current recommendations are about 0 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight I tend to recommend for my dancers a, a little higher than that because they're, they're athletes. I tend to recommend about 1.2 to 1.3 grams per kilogram of body weight. So even going at a, you know, a slightly higher level than what average needs are, over the last eight years, I have done many, many, many nutrition analysis on food journals that my dancers have sent me. Many. And except in a couple of very rare cases where there was disordered eating going on, almost every single time I do a food nutrition analysis, I, I plug it all into my software, there's excess protein going on. So this idea that, oh, you need to get your protein, where are you going to get your protein and make sure you get your protein, you're getting plenty of protein. <laughs> you know, like, you will not die of protein deficiency if you're eating a relatively well-rounded diet in the United States. It just doesn't happen. So people need to not worry about being protein deficient um, if you're just eating regular food. Um, even my full-blown vegans. I work with a lot of vegan clients, especially nowadays. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very popular. Um, and my full-blown vegan clients, they're still getting plenty of protein. So it's... It's really this idea that protein needs to be something to be worried about is, um, is fallacy. Mm. Um, and eating excess protein isn't somehow better than eating an adequate amount. More protein isn't magic. It won't magically make more muscle or help you lose weight. That, that's not necessarily true. Um, you still have to exercise to make muscle. Right. <laughs> and your muscles, they run on carbohydrates. That's right. their fuel. Um, the body doesn't like to use protein as fuel. It likes to use carbohydrate as fuel. There's this whole idea of a protein sparing effect where the body likes to 
hang on to these amino acids because the body uses amino acids in all of these biological processes. So burning them through burning them to create ATP for energy is not the body's most favorite thing to do. Hmm. Um, and and just for those who don't know what ATP is, that that's like our energy, our major energy currency, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. when you eat something and you go through the whole metabolic process, your kind of end result is ATP, and that's your energy that you use to do what you want to do in life, to jump around and do Gondolegro and Fuetes and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. So um, let's change gears. Let's talk about eating before class. Um, I know we kind of touched a little bit about on that um, so far in terms of eating steadily throughout the day. But um, let's say for all intents and purposes, we are high school students, right? And we've gotten out of school and we have an hour before class. Um, what kind of things can we intake? Um, what's important to consider? Let's talk about that kind of stuff. Great. Yeah. So if you only have a short amount of time, I think planning ahead is really important. Um, bringing food with you in your dance bag. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a locker and you're allowed to keep shelf-stable package things that you know obviously um, won't go bad or attract um, bugs or anything. So I would recommend just make sure you bring stuff with you. Don't rely on going to fast food in between your break time. Um, and I like things that are sort of carby and easy. So like my easiest stuff, my recommendations are going to be back to that peanut butter and jelly sandwich we were talking about a minute Mm -hmm. ago. Um, it's quick, it's cheap, it's shelf stable. You can make it in the morning and it'll still be fine by three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, I like some of the bars that I like out there that are pre-packaged like the Bobo's oat bars are really popular with my dancers. Mm -hmm. Um, there's big sizes and then there's like smaller Bobo's bites that are about 150 calories, which is kind of a nice range. Mm-hmm. You could do a Bobo's Bite and an apple. Um, that would be super quick and easy and really um, shelf-stable. You could pack that in the morning and it would be fine by the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different bars that I like out there, most of which are more kind of carbohydrate-based. And um, they're all ingredients that are familiar um, I like the Lara bars, um, Luna bars are fine, Cliff bars are fine. Um, and, and the book that I put out um, in 2016, I wanted to create a list of lots of different snacks that dancers um, can make or that are popular with professional dancers themselves. Uh, a couple of examples of those are, I have these little energy rolls. I have two different recipes in my book for energy rolls. One has grains and the other does not, depending on what my dancers want. Mm-hmm. Um, and with an energy roll, I basically mix up in a bowl some rolled oats, um, a nut butter or a seed butter of your choice, um, a dried fruit of your choice, maybe like a raisin or a cranberry, some seeds, um, maybe a little bit of honey or a maple syrup to sweeten it if you want that. But with the fruit, you don't necessarily have to have a sweetener in there. And you just mix it all up and roll it up into little balls and put them in the refrigerator. Tasty. It also sounds like uh, a nice combo of uh, definitely carbs, but also fats and protein. So you're getting a little bit of everything. You're getting a little bit of everything, exactly. And they're usually these like little kind of bite-sized pieces that work really well for my dancers because they're always so busy. And you can pop one or two of those in your mouth while you're changing your point shoes and during your break. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty straightforward. 
as far as ideas for things that are maybe a, like a little step up as far as maybe make taking a little extra effort um, I have a chia seed pudding recipe in my book that dancers love. I make this when I go do food demos. This is another recipe from one of my colleagues, Alessa Rogers. And it's basically chia seeds and an almond butter and water and um, like a dried fruit. And you blend it all up and you let it sit. And it, chia seeds absorb liquid. So you can use that to your advantage. Um, they will um, make a nice sort of pudding-like consistency. You can also use chia seeds to make a, a much thicker smoothie, um, to make a smoothie that's almost like ice cream. So you could blend up chia seeds and a banana and some raw cacao powder and some almond milk or soy milk and um, blend all that up really well, let it sit for like a minute. And then you have a much sort of thicker, creamier consistency, which um, can be more palatable to people who are um, like that, that uh, food uh, texture mm -hmm. is something that's important to them. Um, how about, th these sound like awesome and extraordinarily tasty options, but let's say we have someone who is really super in a time crunch and um, can only like run into a corner store um, or something where yeah. options are limited. Um, what are, if in a pinch and with limited options, what kind of things would you uh, advocate a dancer looks for? Sure, absolutely. Um, a lot of either corner stores or, you know, like in the Northeast where you've, you have sort of more of the quick marts, you could get a little uh, sushi tray, like um, especially with a veggie sushi because then you're getting rice and vegetables and maybe avocado. Mm -hmm. um, that's quick and easy to eat on the go. And you, you could pair that with maybe a little bit of edamame or something. I know that in some of our grocery stores where I live in Atlanta, it's pretty easy to find like a little edamame salad or um, little sushi trays. So those are just a grab and go. Awesome. Um, I know a, a lot of the grocery stores, I mean, Whole Foods is sort of like the quintessential example of this. I know not everybody can go to a Whole Foods in, during your break, but the hot bar and the cold bar mm -hmm. have easy, ready, grab and go things. You know, you could get a little bit of roasted potatoes, and that could be your carb. Um, the Whole Foods near us has this wonderful, like, it's basically like fried chicken tofu. <laughs> um, and some potato, and then something green, veggies, mm -hmm. lots of veggies. Or you could do like a little quinoa salad, for example. Maybe your deli has a little rice salad, like a cold rice salad. Maybe it's more Mediterranean with olives and chickpeas and um, artichoke hearts. A lot of fiber there. Your chickpeas are going to have protein. You're going to have carbs. A little bit of wild rice mixed in with that from like a deli counter um, could round that out. Be good energy food. Even like a little pasta. Um, there's a little Italian restaurant next to my daughter's dance school. And sometimes in a pinch, she'll just grab a, a little mini kids version of spaghetti. Mm -hmm. Takes them five minutes to make. And... Um, you know, it's not my favorite thing that she eats, but it's fine. Right. You know, and if you have a little extra time, you could ask them to throw some broccoli on that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Does that help? Or even a yeah. sandwich. If you could get a, a sandwich from somewhere. You could get a hummus wrap. Um, wraps are great. Smoothies are great. Just watch for the smoothie places that add a ton of sugar to their smoothies. Yeah. That's my issue. Yeah. Um, try to get... If, if you have the option, ask for no added sugar. Um, 
But yeah, but there should be way more places like that that are being more aware of the sugar content and the foods that they provide. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm hearing you talk about a lot of whole foods, um, like like um, all the ingredients in your kind of little energy bars or energy rolls, I think you called them. But And, and I think that's definitely a change from when I was a kid and when I was dancing when where um, you go into a corner store and you just have kind of bagged options and processed options. So um, yeah, I do think there yeah. are a lot of better options out there now. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit about um, post-exercise and recovery. So we talked about what to eat before. Um, how about after you're done a long dance day? Yeah, absolutely. General rule of thumb, and this is very general, are that you want to have a higher percentage of carbs pre-exercise, even if you get a mix, and and you will, Mm -hmm. and then a higher percentage of protein post-exercise. Now, in my perfect world, um, as a sports nutritionist, I would really love for my dancers to eat within 30 minutes after they finish dancing. And I know that's kind of idealized because it's really hard to do that. We want to take a shower, and maybe you have a long commute home, Um, so a couple of ways we can handle the timing of that is if you have a long commute home and you know, you're not going to be able to eat for an hour, hour and a half after you finish rehearsal or class, maybe bring something with you for that commute home. For example, bring like a little Tetra pack, like a little kind of glorified juice box of soy milk, but, um, fine if it's flavored, I don't even care if there's like chocolate or vanilla in it. Um, because that soy milk is going to have isoflavins that are super great for reducing inflammation. It also helps with you know, breast cancer prevention, but that's a side note. Um, it has protein. So you're getting, you're, you're getting something with protein in it right away, and it's filling. And it will stave off hunger just enough to get you home. And then when you're home, you can, can make smarter choices about what you're going to eat. Now, my perfect dinner options are things that have a little bit of protein, um, but maybe also have a mix. Let's take the example of minestrone soup. Um, A minestrone soup is quick and easy to heat and warm up when you're tired. You don't feel like making something. Mm -hmm. Um, It also has usually a bean, which is a beautiful source of protein. Uh, I love legumes for protein. They also have iron and they have fiber. Um, most minestrone soups have some sort of either pasta or maybe an orzo or a rice or some sort of like grain. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're helping your body replenish these glycogen stores with the carbohydrates that you eat post-exercise. Mm-hmm. Glycogen is your storage form of energy. And you want to refill those stores that you've kind of burned through while you were dancing. You want to replenish them for the next day which is why we want to get something with a little bit of carbohydrate in it you know, within 30 minutes, hopefully, post-exercise. Mm-hmm. Maybe an hour. I'll take an hour. But the sooner the better. The sooner the better because we're optimizing that, the body's ability to, to replenish. Is that that time frame? Yes. Right after you exercise, you actually have a higher than normal um, activity of an enzyme that helps you replenish glycogen better than, say, if you waited two hours to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, the third component of, of this minestrone soup example that I'm giving is vegetables. Um, vegetables are so key. And I know your grandmother's been saying this for years, but they really, <laughs> really are. She's right. 
um, you know, the, the vitamin A and the carrots, that beta carotene is key. You know, it's, it, it's key for prevention of, um, it's immune function simulating. It's important for your eyes. It's important for your skin. It's, it's an antioxidant. It, it helps reduce muscle soreness. Um, so if you have a nice rich veggie broth that has all of these phytonutrients in it, that's going to help you feel better the next day. Mm. Um, bonus points, if you can chop up a little bit of spinach or even a little bit of kale and like toss it on top of your warm soup and let it kind of wilt down in there because now you're getting even more vegetables. <laughs> and greens are the powerhouse of the nutrition world. Uh, you know, greens like kale and spinach or Swiss chard or bok choy. Um, there's so many different kinds of greens. These guys are filled with vitamin A, with these phytonutrients, with these um, types of nitrates that are actually good for the body, different than the nitrates that are in hot dogs. Yes, those are bad. Um, <laughs> bad, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. I know some of your listeners are going to be like, wait a minute, no, I thought nitrates dogs. in hot dogs were bad. Yes, they are. They're bad. Um, this, this is something different. Um, so the more greens you can get, if you can pair your soup with a big salad, or if you come home and maybe just, if you want something quick, heat up a veggie burger and toss it on a nice rich salad with a ton of veggies. Mm -hmm. um, that's quick and easy, and you're mixing protein and your greens. Um, I'm such a big fan of using a slow cooker to cook beans or to cook lentils mm -hmm. or peas. Um, I know that I'm from Atlanta, but black-eyed peas are really like this nutrition powerhouse. They've got iron. They've got protein. They are super cheap. Mm -hmm. They work with my dancers' budgets. You can throw those in a slow cooker with some nice onion and garlic and sage, and they will be really delicious. You talked a little bit about after exercise um, having an elevated level of a certain enzyme that allows us to kind of um, – uh, what do you say? Taking food a little bit more easily. Well, and it allows stores. us to um, replenish our glycogen stores. Mm -hmm. um, so glycogen is the type of energy that your body's going to access for quick burst energy. Right. Um, but you don't have this huge storage depot of it. You, it's stored in the liver and in the muscles, and you can burn through it fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much almost guaranteed that by the end of a long day of rehearsals or by the end of a like if you're performing at night, for example, mm -hmm. um, you probably burn through your glycogen stores and you need to replenish them. Yeah. And you replenish them by eating some, you know, some carbohydrates. So on that taco night example we were just using, beans do have some carbs too. I know they're a great source of protein, but they do have some carbs. Um, you could do some sweet potatoes with them. You could do um, the, that tortilla that you have it on. Um, there's all kinds of good tortillas out there now that are way healthier. They've got almond flour tortillas. They've got organic corn tortillas. They've got whole wheat tortillas. They've got spinach tortillas. Um, there's definitely ways to do that in a healthier healthier way than it used to be. Nice. Before we sign off, um, was there anything else that you wanted to add? I think we talked a little bit about inflammation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um as far as reducing inflammation from day to day, focusing on the plants is going to be your best friend. Mm. 
Um, and that means plant-based proteins in place of more inflammatory proteins like bacon and sausage and beef, for example. Mm -hmm. Eating things like beans, peas, lentils, seeds, oats, soy. Um, there's some fears in our country around soy, which yeah. is also, I think, unfounded. Um, think about the population of most Asian countries. They eat way more soy per person than we do here in the United States. Um, and they actually have lower rates of cancer than we do, and they have better longevity than we do here in the United States. Mm. So I don't think dancers need to worry about soy. They don't need to worry that there's hormones in soy. This is, this is not true. These are Internet myths. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as reducing inflammation, focus on your plants. Um, there are some plants that are real heavy heat hitters, like your greens, um, beets are really popular into the sports nutrition world for like really the last eight years. Beets have been very popular and I know not everybody loves beets, but, um, now you'll, you'll see this if you ever go to a health food store, the beet juice shots, beet juice added to smoothies. Um, the reason that's popular is that it, it has been shown to be performance enhancing, um, and it will help with like aerobic capacity. Um, it also reduces inflammation. Tart cherry juice is a similar thing, um, which might be more palatable than beet juice. I don't know. It depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Um, But tart cherry juice is also one of those anti-inflammatory compounds that are great to add to a smoothie or even to a dessert, maybe after dinner. Instead of reaching for cookies or chocolate cake, make yourself like a, you know, a smoothie with like blueberries and pineapple is also anti-inflammatory. Throw in a little bit of ginger in there to give it a a little bit of kick. Ginger is also anti-inflammatory. And then add some tart cherry juice and blend all that up. Um, And that'll be like a sweet, tangy treat with just that little bit of bite from the ginger. I Um, think um, regarding, you know, eating to reduce inflammation, it's important um, to remember that inflammation, inflammation doesn't just occur with injury. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah. rather we're, we're eating to reduce like systemic inflammation or inflammation post exercise, which is dance, et cetera. Thank you. Yes. I get, I'm sorry. In my mind, I was just kind of operating under that assumption, but I realized that, that, that needs to be clarified. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. We're not just talking about, Oh, I have tendinitis. Right. Um, no, systemic inflammation is very much a real thing and is very much tied to the food choices that we make. So again, eating more plants and eating more plant-based protein, eating more fruits and vegetables, this does reduce systemic inflammation. Um, yeah. And then, and that requires us to plan ahead. We've, we've got to go grocery shopping. We've got to have that basket of fruit on our countertop. Um, or have frozen fruit in your freezer if having fresh fruit is too time-consuming. You can throw that in a blender in the mornings and make yourself a really like power-packed smoothie. Maybe you drink it in the morning or maybe you throw it in a thermos and you take it with you for an after-class hydrating snack. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you've got to eat your fruits and vegetables and do that by any means necessary. And yeah. if you can grab some carrot sticks, great. If you can make a salad in the middle of the day, great. If you don't have time for that, again, throw your greens in a blender with some blueberries and pineapple and, and make a smoothie. Absolutely. If you open my freezer, you got compost on the left, frozen fruit <laughs> on the right, and then on the bottom shelf, some uh, 
some dinners in case of an emergency. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. I love that. But I, and I love what you said about the, uh, the frozen dinners in case of emergency. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Because we all have these high ideals like I'm going to go home and I'm going to make minestrone soup. There's going to be days where it just goes to pieces. Absolutely. And that's fine. That's fine. But, you know, have stuff frozen that you can just heat in a pinch. Um, that's going to make your life so much easier. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, my gosh, thank you so much. That was packed <laughs> full of a ton of really, really important information. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure. Yes. Um, and I want to make sure that we tell our listeners how to get in touch with you or visit your website. So can you tell them uh, where to go? Yes. Great. So my website is really easy to remember. It's dancernutrition.com. So just www.dancernutrition.com. Or you can go to nutritionforgreatperformances.com. It's the same place. Great. And it'll yeah. be in the link uh, to this podcast so you can see that below. Great. Yep. And if anyone has questions or if, if anybody's parents have questions too, um, you're welcome to email me through my website. Email is definitely the best way to reach me. Um, and I have my that book that I mentioned to you that has like the 50 different recipes and meal and snack ideas. I profile leading dancers in a section called Real Dancers Eat and, and what they actually eat on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's recipes from dancers from companies all over the world. Um, and that book is available on digital download on my website. So it's real easy to get quickly. Um, I've actually just recently sold out of the hard copy, but I'm going to order some more. Oh, congrats. Very soon. Good. And, um, and I have DVDs on my website too, which has my full, uh, you know, 45 minute to an hour long nutrition workshop talk that I do where I go into a little more detail and I have visuals to back up some of the things that I've said on today's podcast. And then the second DVD is called Real Dancers Eat, and it's me um, in a kitchen doing lots of uh, food demos and showing snacks and, and how to make stuff quickly. Awesome. And besides yeah. being chock full of a lot of information, it's a beautiful website, so I do suggest you all go. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and thanks again. I really appreciate your time. All right. Yeah. My pleasure. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dance Well Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dance Well, that's one word, Dance Well Podcast, and subscribe. We will be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.